Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and today is episode 30, and today we're going to be talking about breaking out of the center, operating in the margins, and fighting some of those natural tendencies which get in the way of mission. Let's do this! Hey, thank you guys so much for joining us today and being part of this conversation. It's continually an amazing opportunity to connect with a lot of you guys, and we're grateful for the time we get to spend together. So today's guest is Kevin Lee. And before he introduces himself, I just got to say, Kevin was the pastor of the church when I first started off in full-time ministry. And when I was kind of a new buck coming out of seminary and looking for a way in which to serve and to minister. Starting off at the church that Kevin was a senior pastor at, he really both demonstrated and he led in a way which always pointed to the mission of God. In fact, I had heard about it in seminary, but he was actually leading in a way in which it was in practice and in the way he was helping to be part of shaping that community. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Pastor John. It's good to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. (laughs) Well, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit about who you are? All right. I currently pastor a very small, tiny little congregation. It's a church that has been declining for a number of years until to a point where they could no longer keep their building. And so a number of years ago, they sold it and moved into a seniors' residence, and I felt a sense of call to that congregation just over two years ago to see how congregations like that could revive or revitalize itself or, mm-hmm. or to find new uh, life. But it is a Presbyterian church. Uh, it is a Scottish root, and many of the members are from that, you know, British, but also we have some Caribbean members. But Very many, nice. Yeah. Many of them are older. Or I think the youngest member is something like 60-something. <laughs> <laughs> So a very experienced group, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it, yes. <laughs> very nice, very nice. And what has been your experience in the two years you've been there? Yeah, it's, it's been great. Great in a kind of a different way, because it's, it's the most unique congregation I've ever led. My experience tends toward a midsize to a larger congregation. Sure. So this, this congregation represents the smallest group that I've ever pastored, and it's much older than any group I've ever led. So that presents unique and different challenges as well as the blessings. It's been a, quite a learning curve. And, and how to be the church without a physical presence in the, uh, I mean by physical presence, uh, a lack of a building sure, yeah. um, that identifies who you are, that can hold meetings and all the rest of that. So it's been really challenging, but I'm excited about the, the potential. So next year or so, what we're going to try to do is try to uh, replant somewhere in the neighborhood with a very different kind of presence, recognizing that the urban culture and contexts are fast moving away from religious affiliations or attendance in worship. And so we're going to try to be the church of Christ uh, in a different way. And that's the reason why I went to this church is in some ways, in a sad way, uh, in, a, in a way, is the fact that uh, in the urban context in downtown Toronto, mainline churches like us, uh, we'll continue to experience uh, decline, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll have to innovate in terms of how we can be a faithful witness of 
the life-saving work of Christ to the community, in the community, in a, in a different way than the traditional church has always done it for centuries. And so I feel like it's an exciting time, challenging time, very um, scary time, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> to figure out what, what that looks like in the next uh, few years. Yeah. Yeah. But that's awesome. It's, it's reinvigorating. It's having a new imagination of what the church is mm-hmm. in terms of being a presence in a certain place. And that's exciting for you to be kind of a part of that process. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to discern whether I have the gifts for it. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been working in traditional institutionalized church for all my career and grew up in them. And so to be a church outside of the traditional church context in a, in a largely unbelieving or uninitiated population and how to communicate witness to the gospel in that context is a very difficult and challenging thing for me at the present moment. So mm-hmm. l- without quite knowing what it looks like, I guess we're just going to launch into it, trusting that God is already in the world and doing things. And so we're coming along to put a physical, tangible, visible witness to that, to that work already being done by God in the Spirit. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's exciting. But the the most interesting and the challenging and the most fascinating thing that we could talk about today is, the, is that the church uh, or Christianity, their faith is no longer in the center now sure, of yeah. our culture, right? We are pushed out into the further margins of our society where we are no longer the, one of the major voices that, that speaks into the culture. We're no longer part of that central institution that has a say into the larger and our lives as Canadians or lives as, uh, as human beings. So, so that marginal place is, presents a unique challenge for us in Canadian context, but also an enormously, in my opinion, exciting opportunity as well. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Can you share a little bit about how your paradigm has shifted over the years? You coming from predominantly, you said, a larger institutionalized church, you yourself are, have come from a Korean background, having served in larger Korean churches, and then having you know, served in different contexts and having been shaped through those different experiences. How have you come to understand what the mission of God is, and especially as it relates to a culture which is post-Christian and where Christianity is no longer one of the main drives? Well, I think there have been so many uh, well-articulated books and reflections about the church in, in relationship to the to the society or uh, to a country, for example, like Canada. And one of the main ideas is comes out of those reflections is that the, the early church, when the church uh, exploded in growth, mm-hmm. as few just average ordinary people began to witness about the resurrection of uh, Jesus and, and the saving work that he did, it, it was a very much a marginal enterprise. Right. It wasn't until the 3rd, 4th century when... Roman Emperor Constantine became a convert. I think in some regards, some ways, he became a convert because he saw how effective Christianity could be for his kingdom. And so Constantine institutionalized the church, set up churches in different dioceses that mm-hmm. we still have today. You know, like there'll be church in every geographical location. He established bishops that directed and ordered these churches, and everyone was mandated to attend and worship in these uh, new, I guess, the religion of the empire, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then from the third to the till the Reformation, which is the 16th century, 
the church really was at the center of every Western civilization. Yeah. And so if you go to Europe, every major intersection and prominent place represents a church. Yeah. And so the church's presence as a, as a center and main institution in, a, in the Western Empire is, uh, is quite well known. But it's not a place that we do well in, in my opinion. <laughs> you got to tease that out. Yeah. What we, does that mean? We, it's, it's that when we become the institutionalized power, what we often do is we exercise powers of the kingdom rather than the powers of the kingdom of God, the values, the, tra- the, the ways in which we uh, operate. Sure, yeah. Um, those, those compromises are made. I think history is fraught with, even in the modern day and in the present moment, the history is fraught with examples of church transgressing mm. in, its, uh, in its boundaries and witness to the world that is just about as broken as the rest of the world and sometimes even greater degree of brokenness is exhibited by the church. And, yeah. and so in some bizarre way and maybe, maybe in a planned way, in my view, maybe God is taking us back to where we are most effective and most called to be. And that is, that is in the margins, physically, spiritually, socially, politically, in every way. And yet, with enormous power to transform, to help, right. to revive people, communities, and, and society as a whole to, to a better state of mind and state of being. And so it is, on the one hand, very sad to see the decline of the church here in the West, and there isn't a day that I don't bemoan that decline mm-hmm. mm, in, in numbers and, and, and in significance. But on the, on the other hand, I wonder if the church is being driven to a place where we belong. Right. I, I can see my evangelical friends <laughs> rolling their eyes in dismay. <laughs> You're giving them a heart attack right now. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm probably espousing heresy again, <laughs> as I've been accused of uh, before many times. But I can't speak for every church, obviously. And there are churches that are flourishing, like we're the one where we're sitting in right at the present moment, and they're doing amazing witness to the particular community to which they're called. And so I celebrate that and rejoice in its growth and vitality but overall, the church mm-hmm. in the Western world, as we have known it, is in serious decline. You know, those of you who live in the suburbs, you might have witnessed lots of churches being built up and so forth. But uh, just go downtown. Within the next 10 years, okay, you're going to have major church buildings decommissioned. Yeah. And uh, condos being built on top of them or aside of them. Or yeah, for sure. Whatever it is. Uh, CBC just published an article yeah, I read that ago. too. They're estimating that 9,000 churches across the country will probably shut down or lose their buildings within this next decade. That's correct. That's huge. Yeah, and that's simply because of economics, right? 9,000 churches will close because the buildings cannot be maintained yeah. by, the, by the remnant of Christians who are there. And so my congregation has experienced that they're at the leading edge of that trend in the Canadian context. And so I wanted to go to that place. Mm-hmm. And to, to be part of that group of people who are witnessing this decline and asking, okay, so where is God? 
and what is God leading us to do and sure. to be in that decline. I don't see the decline as a random act of evil or unfaith. I'm a Presbyterian and re- Reformed <laughs> believer, uh, so I have to believe, and I, I, I do trust that God's sovereign hand is in this in some, some way. Mm-hmm. And so our question is to ask then, as we journey into that decline, uh, our question isn't to be depressed and give up. Our question then becomes, okay, so what is God calling us to be? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? We may not never know the full answer, although we have lots of opinions about why it's happening, but uh, we are clearly being directed into the margins of society sure. in the physical sense, spiritual sense, social sense, political sense. And the question is, what then? What are we to do? And if we wanted to look at biblically, I mean, we have lots of examples of that. I mean, Israel uh, exile in Babylon. Yeah. There's a classic example of of a group of people who are moved physically, literally into the margins of a Babylonian empire where they are nothing but a small ethnic sect with a strange belief uh, structure. And God spoke to them in that context and directed them. And so... I believe the same is happening now. It's just that the direction and guidance comes in a small snippets of wisdom. Sure. And we have to work at it to to discern. I've always wondered what it was like for the Israelites to receive a word from the Lord, to seek the flourishing of your city without that place of prominence or power. They are not the central people. They are the outsets. (laughs) That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's an amazing blessing because um, God directly speaks to them and informs Jeremiah, don't believe the other prophets who are speaking because <laughs> I am not speaking through them. And mainly the, uh, those prophets are the ones who are, who are saying, we need to withdraw. Sure. Uh, we need to create our own identity, own place and you know, return to Jerusalem or whatever it is. But um, God speaks to Jeremiah, in a different way, my plan is to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And then he directs them to, you know, buy houses, plant vineyards, marry your sons and daughters to people, and establish yourself in the city, and uh, pursue the common good of the city. These are Babylonians, for heaven's sakes, but, (laughs) but we're supposed to live in such a way that the common good that you pursue for yourself and for for the whole entire city will be honored with God's blessing and prosperity, which is a, just a <clears throat> amazing, amazing text. And so there is that kind of same spirit that those of us who are in the urban context, in the kind of the multi-ethnic settings that, that we find ourselves, and we want to figure out how do we pursue the flourishing of the city mm-hmm. yeah. among the Babylonians, sure. quote-unquote, if you will. <laughs> I don't know if it's appropriate to call <laughs> Other people Babylonians, but... <laughs> I don't know. They might take it as a compliment. You know, yes. Babylonians for a time yeah. flourished. They were an empire. <laughs> they were an empire. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know what, though? I think what you're doing, you're also speaking into kind of this new frame of how we understand the church. And I think for a lot of people, it is scary to think about it. It's scary to think about what does it mean for us to be going into the margins or be sent into the margins. The natural tendency is always what you said earlier, is to withdraw, to be disengaged, or at least to form your own empire that's set apart uh, among similar-minded people, same-looking people. (laughs) And it, it is difficult to think about it in that way. But I love how you talk about it, about how 
this might all be part of what God is doing, right? And that if our empires, quote-unquote empire, decreases because we are being dispersed and scattered to engage and to extend God's presence into this world, if that is what God is doing and how he is moving, can we be okay with that? And that's, that's a hard notion. That's a hard notion because, you know, the world's definition of success and the world's, you know, definition of what flourishing is, is that like, oh no, as a group, we're growing together. And as a group, we're establishing our own thing, more insular focus. Why do you think it's so hard? Why do you think it is so hard to make that kind of shift? And just out of your own opinion, why do you think it is especially harder for Asians or immigrants? Yeah, so there is an impulse that we as people, uh, human beings, possess that has been taught to us and has been enculturated into our cultures, traditions, and into our psyches that has become innate. And that tendency is the more difficult and isolating a context becomes, mm-hmm. okay? the more homogeneous or more like-minded things or similar things are, become more attractive. Right, yeah. So, for example, the, for a church that's becoming increasingly pressured, it becomes almost innate and natural, instinctive to become more kind of insular so that what remains is is kept. And and there is an enormously energizing aspect to congregate and know that a small group of people are, are united by a common faith right. in the midst of this vast unbelief and, and disinterest. And so those common things or homogeneous units, as they're called, can be a very comforting sure, yeah. uh, and enlivening kind of things. So we could talk about, you know, the... In the 1970s, a famous uh, a theologian and church growth guru named uh, McGavran uh, wrote a book on church growth, and he identified a sociological phenomenon called the homogeneous unit principle. Mm-hmm. And the homogeneous HUP, HUP, as its uh, acronym. <laughs> but um, we don't hear that a lot. No. Hey, what's what's HUP? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you hear a lot around here. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, I'm just bad. Pronunciation yeah, all around. It's up. <laughs> yeah. And basically what he, what he identified was that he saw the trend that uh, people come to faith easier when you don't ask them to cross racial, class, sometimes even gender barriers. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you create a homogeneous unit where a person has a sense of affinity and a belonging, either in terms of economic, socioeconomic class or in racial terms, mm-hmm. language and culture and so forth, that the person is more likely to come to faith than if you ask them to cross different barriers in order to have a sense of belonging to that community in its faith and practice and life. Mm-hmm. And so he, he argued that um, the church, if it wants to grow, must create homogeneous units. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, um, churches have employed that principle quite often with great deal of success, because uh, McGavran was actually describing a human tendency that mm-hmm. we liked homogeneous contexts, yeah. where everybody speaks the same language, <laughs> looks the same, uh, and we have same values and, right. and practices. Because and they're always reinforced, like, yes. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so it feels like home. Yeah. And so when new ideas are presented, those ideas are easier to embrace 
when those comfort levels are maintained. But if you put people into an uncomfortable place, unfamiliar place, or a heterogeneous place where people's languages are different or skin color is different sure. or their, their work is different, then that place becomes a much more difficult place for you to accept new and challenging views about yourself or, or the world. And yeah. so, so the homogeneous unit gives a great deal of comfort and, and advantages. The problem is, I guess, to a degree, is that the, if you look at the Book of Acts and the early church's uh, witness in the world, they were very heterogeneous right from the get-go. Yeah. From Pentecost on, when the Holy Spirit was given, uh, you see that the converts come from all over the place with different languages, uh, different cultures, and that every chapter of Book of Acts describes this small little church uh, sect at this time crossing homogeneous boundaries that mm. were never crossed. Like, for example, slaves and masters worshiping together, or males and females worshiping together. I mean, yeah. those were scandalous. Oh, yeah, on, <laughs> on transgressible lines, but they, they did that. And, and, and what they created was a community that part of the world had never seen. Mm -hmm. uh, which was an utterly heterogeneous unit yeah. able to overcome our tendency towards homogeneity and, and becoming something diverse, complete, yeah, like you said, sometimes even scandalously heterogeneous sure. in, its, in its makeup, which is the, the tendency. So, so one of the impulse that we have to regain in my opinion, and, and as I read the, read the Bible, one of the things that the church has to rediscover about its mandate, about its mission in the world, is it's this counter-cultural, counter-natural way that everyone seeks to find a homogeneous unit and find their comfort in it, mm. to creating that new vitality that comes from heterogeneous uh, communities. So the one example I can give that comes from nature, perhaps, is the world of the salmon. Uh, <laughs> I never thought I'd be talking about salmon yeah, on this podcast, but, but we're but, doing this. Yeah, we well, we could eat the salmon after. This, <laughs> but, uh, but the uh, salmon swims upstream. Mm -hmm. It goes from the sea and finds a river tri a tributary, which are often miles in length, which often has enormous currents and obstacles. Mm. And, they, and yet they flow upstream, counter to the flow of, of the water to find its nesting place and then, and then reproduces. And uh, I guess to a degree, I feel like what God is asking us to do is, is to swim upstream. Hmm. Upstream in terms of our natural human tendency towards comfortable context through homogeneous places, right? Sure. And to struggle against our own innate tendencies to discover this alternate way, counter-cultural and counter-natural way to find God's presence and to, to experience a vision for the world that is really un, unimaginable to a degree. Yeah. That's, a, that's a huge challenge for us all. And I think even within the context of a Canadian-Asian church, even looking at the church where I'm currently serving at, it, it is a larger church, but we're also noticing, we're, we're being pushed to consider what that could look like. 
we already experienced different cultures within the church, not only sure. language backgrounds, Cantonese, Mandarin, English, but what we're noticing it the most is between the generations. Those who are second generation, third generation, they're experiencing in their daily life already a blend of cultures. And when you get to third or fourth generation, possibly that could be completely unrecognizable toward what the initial culture would be. And so I think one of the things that we're thinking about is, you know what, the second generation is kind of a hybrid culture. And what does it mean to be a church that meets with that culture? But also, once again, not just an insular way, but as we consider, maybe our church is not just about a church that is about a group of the same or a homogeneous community, but rather, you know, if we are called to be what Scott McKnight would say is a fellowship of difference, embracing that, welcoming that, being sent out into that, engaging in that way, that perhaps there is a new expression of the church just about to give birth because, like, we're already noticing it. And I think we've seen a lot of the second and third generations exit out of kind of immigrant churches because they've wanted to keep it a certain paradigm or perspective, but that second or third generation doesn't feel they, they can be a part of that or connect with that. And I think it's, you know, it's even within a church we're facing what you have just talked about in its own way. And then we're also talking about how that looks like outwardly from the church, right? Mm-hmm. So in terms of heterogeneity or the homogeneous uh, nature, there are three areas that, that we experience this is in, in the most visible way, right? So one area that we can talk about is the racial mm-hmm. racial slash ethnic homogeneous groups that we identify with. So, you know, I'm Korean and I remember in the 1970s when we came to Canada and like when we used to meet someone on the subway that looked remotely like Koreans, we would go up to them and ask if they were Koreans and we would <laughs> <clears throat> celebrate. Uh, celebrate. Together. Throw a party right there. Yeah, uh, and uh, things like that. But uh, So there's the, the racial one. The second one where homogeneous and heterogeneous impact comes in is in the socioeconomic class. Right, yeah. So, you know, I'm sitting in a beautiful building by the looks of the building and it's how it's furnished, how it's painted and how it's built. It's a, it's a very middle class to, sure. you know, affluent congregant members. So if you go downtown, you'll experience the church in a very different way Yeah, with very different aesthetics. And they, so there is an ethnic or uh, not only an ethnic uh, difference, but the socioeconomic class differentiates how we uh, function together. And in the church, in my experience now, the, the first two barriers are largely overcome, and most congregations want to overcome them. They have identified them as a, as a barrier, and so they're working on them. But the one area that I've always struggled in the church is the um, generational. Yeah, for sure. So now the homogeneous, heterogeneous division experienced in the church is the greatest in the generational gap. Yeah. So the uh, grandparents and the grandchildren have a very different sense of what worship looks like yeah. or praise looks like or what discipleship looks like. Sure. I, mean, they, I mean, music, for example, is one of them, right? You know, the classic organ-driven hymns to a modern praise thing. I mean, it's just, and, and the two have a great deal of time, great struggle to worship together and mm-hmm. live together and, and, and live out our discipleship together. And so we create homogeneous units within the church, right? in order to maintain, so for example, like churches that I've led, you know, 
in order to, to uh, <laughs> attract the young or keep the young people in the church, you have to create their own homogeneous groups for them uh, because they don't get anything out of attending worship services, for example, with their parents right. or whatever it is. So we create their own subgroup. But that subgroup then further subdivides because within that subgroup there is a different age grass, you know, Gen X, Gen Y, I don't even millennials. know. Millennials and whatever, whatever. agenda we are in. <laughs> Each of them requiring their own homogeneous value system that makes them comfortable and have a sense of belonging. But how do we, the next step then is, and, and I'm not against any of these. I mean, after all, I, I was the one who invited you to minister to the young people. And so yeah. I'm not against all of that, but... And we were two Asian pastors in a predominantly Caucasian. That's correct. And that was a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that so we were crossing um, boundaries then, but we were also employing the classic homogeneous unit mm-hmm. uh, in to a degree. Although, meanwhile, recognizing that the ultimate goal is to be able to remove those homogeneous boundaries that we create for ourselves sure. and find unity among these diverse group of friends and family members. Yeah, so the next crucial growth has to come in that area of finding our home, comfort level, and a purpose and a mission in a heterogeneous context. Mm. Whether they are racial, whether they are socioeconomic, Mm -hmm. or whether they're generational, we have to find and, and grow to a degree that we can overcome our natural tendency to seek out our homogeneous unit yeah. and find only comfort in that group to that place where we literally can enter Babylon. Yeah. Right? That, you know, quote unquote Babylon, that is not my place, not my people, uh, not my choosing, but yet flourish in that, in that place, mm-hmm. find unity. Like we talk about. Classic discipleship things, you know, you know, evangelism, worship, praise, and all that. And again, awesome stuff. We have to do those things. <laughs> but we seldom talk about this kind of next step maturing process in this kind of context that we are in now. So that the, the, the kingdom values that is so clearly described in the, in the scripture can be, can be experienced. But I'm not sure, maybe not in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. That this becomes a dominant Christian way, I think for the next little while, I think our churches will continue to flourish under the homogeneous units because those units do succeed mm-hmm. succeed quotation in terms of being able to reach out to be able to grow to sure. able to reproduce so those homogeneous units are I think inevitable, but I wonder if there is a like a arrowhead. Wonder if there is a point, right? A small point lead, um, leading the church. It's not the dominant model of the church, but a small arrowhead from the church that a spot, a point that leads the congregation into experiencing that uh, that heterogeneous context as a as a mission field mm-hmm. and as a as a faithful witness, and then and then through growth further reflection and spirit's guidance, someday we can we can overcome those boundaries, right? So one of the great texts like, you know, Galatians, you know, there's no, no yeah. Yeah. 
No Jew, Gentile, Gentile. no woman, man, no slave, master. master. Yeah. But all are one in Christ. That kind of passage is quoted so often, so we miss the impact. But speaking into the context of Galatian, that Roman Empire, those were (laughs) unthinkable. Totally radical. Yeah, unthinkable um, (laughs) barriers. Each one individual homogeneous unit that could not be mixed together, right? Clear cultural boundaries existed between those things. And yet, church crossed them continually. And um, yeah, so I think um, people who know me and people who see me in the streets or in the community uh, see me as a middle-aged Asian guy. And I guess I probably will never be able to overcome that visible identity. But, you know, I probably have all my preferences that comes from that being that demographic. Um, but I feel like I'm being challenged and, and requested and asked and pulled into into much more um, diverse places sure. than I am comfortable with. Yeah. You know? Hey, as we wrap up this episode, your story, and perhaps it could be all of our stories, especially from where we've come from, is in a sense to be a little bit like Abraham to be sent out not knowing where it's going to be, into that unknown, to be a blessing to all people and to all nations, and that we have to be okay with that tension of we're being called out from where we're at and into something brand new in which God desires to do. And it could be scary, but that's okay. I mean, I, think, I remember reading Hebrews later on, kind of expanding on Abraham's call about him really not knowing <laughs> where he was going, yeah. had no idea <laughs> where right. he was going, but he followed God. And perhaps in, in some ways we're able to do the same as we are kind of sent out and moved into those directions. Normally we end our episodes with a, a takeout box, but I think what you had just shared at the end there is something for us to continue to chew on and wrestle with, especially in our own context. So thank you so much, Kevin, for joining us today on our episode. Hey, if you have not done so already, please remember to rate and review our episodes and subscribe because that helps us to get this conversation out there. We'd love to hear from you as well. You can connect with us on Facebook or by email or Twitter. Uh, We'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. Do you agree? Do you disagree? How does it look like in your context? And as always, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.